Get some recipes. Yeah. Yes, sir. I can't believe you've done this. Welcome to the Evolve Podcast, a podcast that explores personal evolution through our choices and overcoming life's challenges. The Evolve community is your ultimate destination for personal growth and evolution. True to form, I'm, I get to continue to be the dumbest person in the room. That's fantastic. Thank you. Did you ever get a, uh, uh, a quantum physical uh, explanation for how to uh, bake a meatloaf from a porn star? Bake a meatloaf from a porn star? So with that, let's get started with the pre-show. Um, you know, it, what what's inspiring Shane right now? What are you listening to? What's uh, what's interesting to you? Yeah, so I, you know, it's a good question. I'm I'm a little bit of everything. I'm kind of eclectic. I've got teenage kids at home, so um, I can listen to anything from pop on my Spotify um, when they're in the car. To you know, I I sit on the board of the Utah Symphony Utah Opera. And obviously, with everything that's going on with the arts, um, <clears throat> with COVID, that's that's a passion of mine. And watching what's happening with arts and theater um, in general is kind of um, heartbreaking to me. Watching yeah, people try to survive, and so I listen to a lot of classical. I listen to a lot of jazz. Um, one of my good friends is a you know a multi Grammy winning um, jazz guitarist, and um, so I. He, he's up here in Cache Valley, so he, he's doing stuff online, and we're doing stuff. I, I listen and support um, the arts online anytime I can. Yeah, so I love it. That, so later on, we'll talk about my Temptations uh, tickets and what's going on with that. Excellent. <laughs> I, 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 hope, <laughs> I, I hope it all comes back soon. I do yeah. too. Yeah, I think we uh, we're all pretty passionate about uh, music, uh, but also just getting back to a a more uh, normal life here and, and not uh, having some of those impactful and inspirational pieces shut down for us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, but it, again, I think it's fascinating to watch what artists have done to try and innovate and still be yeah. present and provide that creative outlet for us in new and novel ways. It's, it's kind of inspiring to see how they've adapted as well. Yeah, it's interesting how challenge, uh, you know, really forces innovation a lot of the time. And um, Miles and I were talking at the beginning of this uh, pandemic when the quarantine started to happen about, um, you know, how you doing? What's going on? What are you working on? What are you playing with? And and I know he was creating some new music. I was playing with some different visual art concepts. Um, and I actually went back through and studied what happened in previous pandemics. And it was fascinating that some of the greatest music that we, we have to this date in classical music was created during different pandemics and when yeah. people were quarantined. So, you know, while it's been a challenging time, I think, for, for a lot of us and most of us, um, there's some great things that can come through challenge. Um, so with that, we want to introduce uh, Shane to the uh, Evolve podcast. We've got Shane Stoll here uh, joining us today. Um, Shane, we, we want to welcome you to the Evolve podcast where we uh, talk a lot about the ideas of personal evolution uh, and how our choices and then how we respond to challenges uh, in life 
is shape and form that personal evolution. So Shane, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, gentlemen. It's a it's a pleasure. And and sometimes I would say, you know, gentlemen and Casey. Um, I know I've known Casey long. I, I, I can you know, that. you're supposed to be on my team, Shane. I already got Steve <laughs> hammering on me. I don't I, now I gotta fight. I gotta fight both of you. <laughs> I, I think so. that's what happens. I mean, Shane, you've known Casey for a little bit longer than I have, right? I've known him for 20 years. You're probably 30, 40, 30, 50, 30, 60 I think, years. I think we met in seventh grade. Yeah. Sounds so, great, yeah. history goes back a long way. Yeah. So, so Shane, I've got a metaphor of Casey's evolution. Right yeah. Now. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> Shane, I've got two questions for you. You know, uh, as we start this thing off, I, you on paper, you seem like a smart guy. You've got a bachelor's, a master's, and a PhD in psychology. Um, you know, you, you've done a lot of things, you've worked in a lot of different areas. So two questions. Number one, why do you still talk to Casey? And number two, <laughs> why are you on a podcast with three idiots? Right, like that, that was my first question. You can't well, take my question, Steve. That's my first well, question. Having a degree in psychology, there's always plenty to do with Casey. So, ah, you know, wow. Wow. <laughs> I walked into that one. Uh, yeah. uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, you know, state Casey's been one of my best friends from the moment we met. Um, he's a guy that I still rely on, um, trust. And if I ever need anything, he's a guy that I know, um, I could speed dial in a heartbeat. He'd be there. He's, he's always been that way. And um, I think, I think those kinds of relationships are rare in this life. And when you find them, you hold on to them because life's hard and things come at you in ways you don't expect. And having something consistent that you can grab a hold of helps keep you grounded. Yeah, I love so, it. And Casey. in our pre-show, we were talking about you've you've got probably one of the longest resumes that I think any of us <laughs> have ever seen. Um, what was fascinating to me, Shane, was that in 2000, you were the founder of a company called Tanning Studio. And then later on, you ended up in uh, Texas so that you could get a better tan in Texas. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I could, I, I could sell the tanning studios and uh, let Mother Nature take its tour. There you go. There you go. With this degree or with these degrees, I should say, in um, psychology, you've you have not gone a traditional psychology route per se of counseling with people. Uh, while you've got some experience and some background in clinical work and and um, you know working in the lab, what was it that got you into your current uh, situation where you're working for uh, Spencer Stewart as a consultant? How did you go from psychology? into uh professional consulting yeah it's it's a long circuitous um route that i wish i could say was well planned but um in in sticking with the theme of evolving oftentimes when we evolve um, pathways open up that we don't expect and we don't anticipate and um, we jump at opportunity and when i was doing my undergrad um, in psychology, I had the chance to teach some Psych 101 labs for a gentleman who was a grad student at the time in psychology. And um, I, I, he went off to do his internship. I went off to graduate school. Um, six years later, I was doing my residency. And I, I looked up on the wall, and there was a picture of this gentleman um, as a part of the residency class from six years before. We had ended up in the same location six years later. Um, hadn't had any contact. I was I was doing clinical work at the time, so um, uh, and and I was starting to take a, a good hard look at do I think this is 
a path that I can sustain. And um, I found that I, I get very emotionally involved when I do clinical work. I care deeply about people. And I was starting to recognize that 40 hours a week of doing um, clinical trauma work was going to be hard on me. And um, it would probably be hard on my family because I, I didn't bounce back from that quickly when I came home. It, it stuck with me because um, you're, you're seeing and hearing some hard stuff day in and day out. And yeah. so I started asking one of the professors who was, who was there at my residency if they knew where this gentleman was. And they said, yeah, actually, he's working for this consulting firm. I think he's in Denver. So I, I reached out to him and um, just reintroduced myself. And he said, hey, it's so good to hear from you. What are you doing? And I said, I'm looking for a job here in a couple of months and just wanted to know more about what you do. And he introduced me to a firm that does leadership advisory. It's a group of psychologists that have been around firm's been around for about 60 some odd years and they provided leadership development to CEOs and boards and he goes given your background and kind of your business startup entrepreneurial mindset your good clinical background you you would be a good fit here why don't I introduce you to some people so he had me join him at a conference I met the CEO and the CHRO they kind of did an interview while we were um, in San Francisco over a weekend, and um, the rest is history, as they say. I kind of got the invitation to come try something that I didn't know a whole lot about, quite frankly. And in fact, um, I remember one of my my first weeks on the job in the leadership advisory world, and you know, this I'm just going to be completely transparent. I was sitting there, and people were talking about this 360 that they had just done on this executive, and I was like, man, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, did we invent this? I was so naive about um, how things really worked in the business world um, and, and what happened that I, I had no idea that it's just like a normal standard process of procedure. And so um, that began my journey 15 years ago into leadership advisory. Um, and I, I had a lot to learn, but it was a nice blend of kind of my entrepreneurial worldview, um, my belief that um, businesses succeed because of their people and when they leverage their talent and get their talent right um, people will do great things for companies and they want to do great things if people will let them that's my core belief and um and i had a lot to learn and i started that journey and spent a decade kind of doing that um, and then a whole set of other avenues opened up um, that were unplanned and um, i jumped on them yeah, I love that. It, you know, what's fascinating to me is I look back through your your um, resume. You've got background in everything, pain management, trauma, um, all sorts of things. I, I, I don't know about you, Shane, but over the years, I've heard people say, well, hey, I graduated in this degree and I don't use it at all. Now I'm doing this. <laughs> so I regret doing that. Um, I, I don't I've never been of that mentality. You know, when I started out in school, my original plan was to do art and psychology. And like you, I sat and listened to people in the clinical setting. And then I went home and I thought, oh my gosh, I can't do this. If I have to listen to one more people, talk, one more person talk about their problems and not just be able to get up and go do something about it, it's going to drive me crazy. I don't look at that as a negative thing because I learned something not only about myself, but about what um, I think I could parlay into the future. And so with that psychology background, I got into leadership development uh, as well. When you look at your 
studies and you look at what you did through the clinical work and through getting your master's and your PhD, um, how do you view that now knowing, okay, I'm not in that world. I'm in a completely different world of consulting. Do you look at that with a sense of gratitude? Do you look at that with a, hey, I just didn't know. And so I'm learning as I go. What, what's your perspective on it? Yeah, um, really, really good point. Maybe I can digress a little bit and take us back to um, probably my senior year in college. And I had a chance to go present a paper um, in Washington, D.C. at a psychology conference with another graduate student that I knew at the time. And while I was there, I, I was like, I'm just going to I'm going to spend some time. So I went, you know, I went to the Capitol. I did all the, the D.C. stuff and I went to, to Mount Vernon and um, and I went to Monticello um, while I was there. Hmm. And I, rem- I remember wa- I, I remember this distinctly. I was walking through kind of these homes and these historical settings where our country was kind of founded um, through some of the, you know, our, our early great thinkers. And I, I remember walking out um, into this barn and reading a plaque about how George Washington and Thomas Jefferson had a belief that a well-rounded education and, and inquisitiveness is, is critical to the future of our country. And, and I was reading this plaque about how they thrashed wheat. They couldn't figure out how to get the wheat out of the stock fast enough and they wanted to become more efficient. And at, at the time there wasn't an efficient way to do it. And they devised kind of a two level barn. And I'm not sure which of the two of them did it. Maybe it was, I think it was at Washington's farm that I saw that. And I was, I just remember thinking like, wow, there's someone who is like a great philosophical thinker who ended up being a great leader, but who valued art, who valued science and valued like invention. Mm-hmm. And, and then I remember just spending the weekend kind of walking through their homes and seeing what they did and what, what was important to them. But what jumped out at me is that there was kind of this willingness and this openness to experience, to try new things to fail at, at new things and, and to learn and then to take what they learned from one place and try and translate that to other places. And that, that was not lost on me. And I try to keep that top of mind all the time when opportunity, when opportunity jumps at me. I am not the smartest guy in the world. In fact, when I applied to graduate school, you're, you're the smartest guy on this podcast though. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> you, you win. <laughs> which is not um, a very high bar, but you are. Um, and well, thank, thank you. But I, I, after speaking with you all today, my guess is that we each bring our different talents to our, our realms of intellect and our, um, and I think that's what makes the world spectacular is the chance. Thank you for saying that, Shane. Say everybody. that again and let's deep listen. <laughs> 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 you can't yes, let him listen. You gotta, you gotta make him listen. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, and I, I, but I do, I do believe that. I believe that everyone brings something to the table that's a strength, and I try to bring that to my leadership advisory work with CEOs and boards, and even during the challenging times that we've had over the last year, watching 
companies struggle on watching people wrestle with what do they do. Um, critical feedback is important, but I, I believe we have to encourage people to find what they thrive at and, and how to help them leverage that and surround themselves with other people that might you know, be successful and brilliant and help them thrive in other ways. And that that's where you get true success. And, um, and, and I think that that moment kind of in my experience in college kind of carried with me. So even to this day, um, it's not that I don't enjoy clinical work. I still am a licensed clinical psychologist. I still do um, clinical work here and there because I think it makes me better at everything else I do. It's the same way that I continue to value the arts. Um, I have a deep respect and love for the arts. I think that exposing yourself to that and letting that infiltrate your life in healthy ways can inspire you. And I think clinical work helps keep me grounded in what keeps people human and the challenges that we all face. And that we can't just compartmentalize our life. It's easy to say, hey, I go to work and I keep work there and I go home and I keep my personal stuff personal. But, you know, last time I checked, all our brains are connected to our bodies all the time. And that stuff is carried with us. And how do, how do we leverage that? How do we pay attention to the pain that keep people carry, the strengths that people carry, and how that plays out in the way that they're trying to do the best to live their life in the best way they can? In keeping with the theme of um, evolving, have you ever worked with somebody and you notice that they are, to put it simply, a perception away from something as a breakthrough, but they can't see it, but you see it. Mm. And you try to figure out ways to get them to see it, but they just can't see it. It's just a matter of perception and how to get to somebody to change perspective so they can move forward. Yeah. Um, I would say like every day, yeah, you know, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's the kind of um, this world and oftentimes the, where we are in our life wants to keep us in a box, wants to keep us with the world perceiving us the way that we've grown up perceiving us. And I, I think that's one of the downfalls of a world that's become so highly specialized is that that's what we do and that's how our identity is scoped and that's what we pay attention to. And that oftentimes when we think about, especially like, a, I think this is a pertinent conversation around diversity and inclusion. How do we really think about um, what it means to be diverse and what it means to create inclusion? And that, 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 that's a mindset and, and a willingness to be open to where people are and what they're doing and what they're experiencing. And so people are trying to, to find the boundaries of that. Who will accept me for what I am? Where can I um, share this? Where can I be open? Where can I be stuck? And I'll, I'll use an example of, I, I remember working with an executive once um, and I had met him for an assessment. He was looking to get promoted to a new job. And um, about an hour in, I just looked at him and I said, you know, uh, I think you're holding back. I think there's stuff that you're trying to tell me because you think it's what I want to hear. And I think it's impacting the way that you're showing up here. And if you're doing that with me, my guess is you're doing that elsewhere. And if you do that in this new role, you won't last a year. Mm. And I just 
put it out there because quite frankly, the way it was going, there was resistance um, that was pretty palpable and easy to pick up on. And, and he looked at me and he kind of stopped for a second and, and he sat up in his seat a little bit and he looked at me and said, like, you're the first person that's ever said that to me. Um, what is it that you picked up on? And so I just walked him through what I, what I heard and what I shared and why I felt that way. And I said, and I trust that there's something else deeper here that's gotten you to where you are. And if you can tap into that, you're gonna be the next CEO of this company. And, and he, he broke into tears and he proceeded to share with me the challenges that he had gone through um, in, in um, a significant tragic loss of someone very close to him um, in a very traumatic way. And as we started to have that conversation, all of a sudden we were able to start talking about how do you, how do you tap into that as a leader? How do you let people see who you are and how do you motivate because of the life experience you bring to the table and how do you allow them to have those life experiences and bring their best whole self to work every day? And um, it, was, it was one of the best interviews I ever did, but had I not taken the risk at that moment, because it could have gone south very fast. Um, mm. But it, it felt like he was ready to figure out how to step into what was next. And, yeah, I love and then that. it turned into a long-term engaging, uh, you know, client engagement, helping him be successful. You know, it's interesting you bring that up and, you know, great question from Miles. And I think that, you know, Shane, that's a, it's a wonderful experience. And and there are people out there that have someone like you as a consultant in their life that can put a mirror in front of them that says, Hey, here's an area of opportunity for you. Here's a perspective that you're not seeing. I think that for a lot of people that may never get the opportunity to sit with a consultant like yourself, um, or are resistant to going to a psychotherapist, what can they do as a friend to be a positive mirror? And positive doesn't always mean, hey, I'm just going to tell you all the things that are great about you. I think, yeah. like Miles was saying, how could a friend be that person that helps the, the other person to see a perspective that maybe they're not seeing? What would your advice to them be? Um, that's a really good question. Um, maybe I'll bring it back to, you know, even the friendship that Casey and I have developed and formed through the years. Um, Casey and I, you know, when we first met each other, um, he, you know, he was the, I, I think he was what, six, two and, you know, two, two fifty and a rugged, strong football player i was probably four two oh i like 80, rugged 80 there pounds. you go casey are you rugged and uh, look at my background look at the background i'm camping <laughs> i'm camping <laughs> i love it and i i think one of the things casey and i haven't always agreed um we haven't always seen the world um in through the same colored lenses but um i I always took the time to listen to what Casey had to say. And I knew that he always took the time to listen to what I had to say. Mm. And, um, you know, I got us into some pickles. He got us into some pickles and we, pickles. we helped. Way more. 
Yeah, I got you into way more. Shane, let's, Shane, let, let's uh, he got us out of my pickles. That might have caused a few rifts for him, but we would have been a bad deal staying in my pickles. <laughs> Love it. And I would and I would say vice versa because the strengths that you brought to the table were what were needed when I got us into pickles and, and vice versa. But I, I think to come back to your question, can you find someone? I, I think in your lifetime, you'll probably have lots of friends. We'll probably have lots of acquaintances. We'll probably find three to five people that um, are truly deep connections where we've had the opportunity through the test of time to be there for each other and to to listen to each other and experience life in ways that we knew we could count on mm-hmm. and find find those people don't don't push those people away and listen to what they have to say and share <clears throat> what you have to say with them and then be there and and really be there there's many times where i needed something and i have called casey late at night or early in the morning and i know that he's dropped things um to just give advice or to just listen, um, or to let me go through the, the struggles that I need to go through. But but I thought the goal today is to live in an echo chamber, right? <laughs> to just get well, online and to share and then yeah. have everybody like what we shared. So what you're saying is the opposite of that, that we should actually seek out people that, we, that listen to us and that we have to listen to. Well, let me jump in because there's a common theme here of all the guests we've had so far that Shane's touching on that keeps coming through my head. And that is those friends or those people that we, that three to five friend group, whatever you want to call it, the common thread there, and I've heard all of our guests speak something to this, is being real, calling, calling yourself out or having a friend who can call you out on your crap and help you work through it in a respectful, kind, loving way that all that does is fuel and feed that relationship. And, and, you know, when you said that Shane, like I, when you said the three to five people, I, I pictured all of them in my head. Um, two of them are on this podcast, you and Steve. And, and it's just interesting that you're saying it the way you said it. And uh, other guests have said it different ways, but the common thread is being real and, and being honest with yourself and being able to tell a friend, you know what, I don't necessarily agree with what you're saying or what you did, but I'm still here. I'm still going to let you know I don't agree with it. Or I'm saying, you know what, you probably need to stop doing that. You're, you're, you're getting in a danger area. And you're going to destroy yourself or whatever the case may be. But those are the, that's that common thread I've heard since we started doing this, this podcast with our guests is that that be real call people out not and not call people out to embarrass them or to or to lay blame but just to just being the real scenario of a friendship which is great sorry steve i, I interrupted you on that no 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 it's, it's perfect and i think that when you're talking about this idea of calling out i think there's something that as we we dig into friendship that we can do that a lot easier, but we've got to get to a space in the relationships, in the friendships that we have, where we can do that, where it feels non-threatening. You know, I, I know Casey, you and I've had the many conversations where we'll go back and forth and we joke and we, we poke and prod, but 
we, we know the heart of what our friendship is, is true and that we can be real and honest with each other. And Miles and I have had many discussions and debates. And there's oftentimes where he'll say, hey, wait a minute, think about this. And he'll throw something out of left field. I value and treasure that more than anything. Shane, I guess my, my question for you based on that is that we do live in a society where the echo chamber is very prevalent, you know, and I think it's become even more prevalent with uh, social media and the algorithms. And, you know, if I type something in, then I'm going to get things that go along with whatever I typed in, in multitudes. And I will continue to reinforce whatever preconceived notion I have. So I guess it's a two-part question. Number one, with someone with your background in psychology and consulting, what would you say to a person of how they can get out of that echo chamber? But then secondarily, how can they be the friend? Because we can't change what our friends do, but we can, we can be the friend that is that way. What advice would you give to a certain person of how to get out of the echo chamber and then become the person that helps other people to evolve? Yeah, um, again, really good. Um, thought-provoking question. Um, let me let me start with the how do you become a good friend? I think you've got to be clear on what your core values are, and and by values, I don't I don't mean kind of spiritual religious values. I mean what uh, what resonates with you personally? Where what do you want to be and who do you want to be around and what gets you up in the morning, um, so to speak. And when, when you really pull that, the layers of that onion back, there's probably three or four things that really matter. And, and to your point, how, how do you get out of that echo chamber? I'll weave this in a little bit. I think if we look at what's happened in the last, you know, year with COVID-19, I think we're starting to see people take a good hard look at what really matters to them. Um, we're seeing people move um, in new and different ways. We're seeing people reconnect with friends and family. We're seeing people start to take a look at, you know, what's the balance between work and between life and family and, and the quality of life that I want. What is, what does that, that mean? This, this, this shared experience that we've all gone through, I think is forcing people um, to take a good look at what really matters to them. And, and I, I get a sense that that echo chamber is starting to fall away a little bit and people are starting to turn towards how do we connect with, how do I connect with my neighbor? I think things that we saw early in the pandemic where people were reaching out to one another and looking out for each other. I was listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about um, some people in a large city that they, they, the young college students that were there were looking after the elderly in their apartment buildings who weren't able to get out and who were high risk and they were taking their shopper, their grocery lists and going to the grocery store and bringing groceries back to them. I, th I think we're seeing um, people take stock in new and different ways because of kind of the existential realistic moment of this pandemic. 
Um, and that might be, I, I'm a big believer that there's silver linings. Um, sometimes there's a whole lot of shit you have to get through before you see it. But that might be a silver lining that we look back on a year from now, 18 months from now, 10 years from now, I don't know when, um, and say, we started to reconnect with our humanity in a different way. And it's huge the opportunity here. could be there for us. It's huge here in Oberlin, um, where a lot of the college students, the few that have remained, um, just to support or bolster your point, um, are really actively involved in helping seniors. <clears throat> There's a couple of message boards, excuse me, <clears throat> on Facebook here, just connecting everybody with what do you have? What do you need? Do you need help? There's so many, yeah, I've noticed an uptick in just the very same things you're talking about. Yeah, and I think, you know, Miles, that's a, that's a great point. I, I think that, Shane, coming back to what you said, that we there is a silver lining, and sometimes it's the shit that fertilizes the beautiful things that we look at in life. And the challenge that we've had uh, in COVID-19, and now as I say COVID-19, you've said it, we've said it three times, so we're all going to be fact-checked here, whether or not it's positive or negative, right? But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there can be some good that comes from the shit, the fertilization. And it doesn't, it, when we're talking about becoming a good friend, when we're talking about this evolution of how do we grow and progress in life, it has nothing to do with political affiliation. And it has nothing to do with where we grew up. We're all human beings and we all have this ability to evolve and to grow. And I think at the heart of it, when we get into some of these challenges, it really does force us to look inside and to have a, have a sense of introspection. You know, Shane, uh, in our first episode of the Evolve podcast, we, we played around with this idea of disruption, that oftentimes in life, uh, things disrupt our normal day to day. They disrupt our what, what we're used to. And that disruption causes us to look in a different way and create differently. Would you say in your role, are you going in as a consultant that has come in because there's been some sort of disruption in the organization, or are you there to be the person that disrupts? Mm, good question. Um, I, I, think, I think it's a little bit of both. And I, I, might, I might even add that sometimes it's about providing the stabilization. Mm. Um, and so I, I'm going to, this is where I'm going to weave in maybe a little bit of my, my psychology background with kind of my business world executive coaching background. And the secret sauce of therapy, in my opinion, is the ability for someone to come in and feel like they can be heard. Um, they can trust that someone's going to pay attention and that it can be a non-judgmental environment for them to explore whatever is important to them. And, and the goal isn't about solving it. The goal is about giving people the space to figure out what works for them. And I think if you look- No, in, no in I agree business, with you 100%. Tell me why though. Because there's, there's a lot of people that don't understand that concept from my experience. And I'm, I'm with you 100%. Why is it not about solving it? Why is it about creating the space for somebody to fix their own problem? Why do you focus on that? 
I, I feel like my fundamental worldview is that people, people are, they have the answers or they have access to the answers. They need permission to be, to take the path that's best for them. And oftentimes there's a whole lot of other pressures that make that difficult. Um, and sometimes people will think that they want a path, but um, that they don't have the freedom to explore that. And once they explore it, they go, oh, actually these other, these other paths or the path that I'm currently on is actually the one that I want. Um, and the grass isn't always greener. Um, so are there moments where it's about disruption and trying to push people and challenge people? Absolutely. Are there moments where it's about creating a moment of space for people to explore what works for them. I'll go back to, so my, my dad has a, a, a doctoral degree in um, music. And I remember going to some, some master classes when I was, you know, um, playing pretty regularly with him. And I, I had a chance to work with a great conductor who said, you know, what's the most important part of music? And everybody, you know, had their answers. Is it the notes? Is it the melody? Is it the harmonies? Is it the way it's put together? And and this conductor said, no, actually, it's the space between the notes. Mm. Uh, if you if you don't create the you space just between spoke the Miles' notes, language. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't create the space between the notes, all you have is chaos. Mm. Um, and if you don't give the right amount of space you can't have the beauty that the music can really bring into people's hearts. And I, I think that's a great metaphor, quite frankly, for life and relationships as well. Um, how do we create space be between us um, and allow that to be whatever it is so that the, the beauty of Miles, the beauty of, of Casey, the beauty of Steve, the beauty of the people that we come in contact with can be heard and that that space can allow people to flourish in whatever way, shape, or form their note wants to sing. Yeah, I love that. In uh, So I'm a visual artist. I have been drawing and painting since I can remember. And in visual art, we call that the negative space. And the negative space is what creates the positive space. It's everything behind the tree that makes the tree show. And... You know, we've we've discussed this before on the podcast that uh, sometimes that negative space is what allows us to see what's right in front of us. And as you're talking about uh, in consulting or coaching or psychotherapy, that allowing somebody the space to see, that's where the beauty comes in. Now, they may not see it the same way that you do. And that's OK, because they're going to yeah. interpret it based on their own values and their own perception. Yeah. And I think that's part of the beauty. It allows them to make decisions that work for them. And when you get everybody doing that, that's, that's what creates a team, right? That's, that's what allows organizations to thrive. That's what allows sports teams to become great. That's what allows um, orchestras to be exceptional. Yeah, I think we're, we're at an interesting point in life and in our country where personal evolution and growth is paramount uh, from my perspective. And that's one of the things uh, or one of the reasons why we started the Evolve podcast is uh, we, we really believe that 
um, we're at a tipping point in the country. We're at a tipping point in our lives. I think that the 2020 pandemic caused a lot of people to pause and reflect. And unfortunately for many people, they realized, hey, my life is not what I want it to be. And I don't have as much depth and I do not have as much breadth and I don't have as much interest. I'm only focused on one or two things. And there's something to be said for that, that negativity, that ability to see what's not there also allows space for us to create as we move forward. Yeah. And, and the, other, the other thing to be careful of, it's, it's not about getting it perfect, right? It's not about getting it right in the way that somebody else thinks it should, should look all the right. time. It's about how, how do we take that first step, right? I, I'm not gonna become a bodybuilder tomorrow, right? I'm not gonna become a world-class artist tomorrow, but I can take that first step. I, you know, I, I can get up in the morning and go for a walk for 10 minutes and then be proud of myself for doing that and know that I'm going to stumble along the way and know that, um, you know, my stick drawing might be all that I can do right now, but if I'm willing to look and learn and listen and evolve to put it into your guys's language, um, you know, take a look back a year from now, take a look back five years from now and, and see what is there because it will be different if you're willing to take the step every day and when you stumble to be okay with stumbling and not be perfect and get up and take a step the next day yeah so let's talk about that for a second well i think one of the challenges of doing that in our society today and especially with let's say 15 to 20 year old uh people um i don't know if any of them are listening but when they do is to Put down, put this down, and just go take that first step instead of having to create more fluff in their echo chamber to let people know they did something. Yeah, put the phone the down. The problem with social media and why I've had such a love-hate relationship with it is it becomes such a, uh, it's like dopamine, and it creates this false sense of accomplishment for doing very little, which create this illusion that I did a lot. So you're always going to be frustrated with yourself if you're really being honest with who you really are and what you're really doing. And it's those baby steps. It's those 10-minute walks in the morning because I didn't do it yesterday, but I did something better today. And celebrating the win, just a little win, and not celebrating it with anyone or having a party about it or posting anything or even telling your your wife or, or your best friend or whatever just knowing that today i did better than i did yesterday and to feed off that and to grow off that i was actually having that conversation with my son this morning i've challenged him to um and he's been doing this since august every morning uh uh he I, I, have, I have workouts for him uh, that revolve around. It doesn't take long. You know, it's just before school. And I said, son, no matter what it is I put on paper for you to do every day, the fact that if you do it every day, and then a month from now, six months from now, even next week, you can look back and see how that's benefiting you 
in, in your athletic development. And you don't have to talk to anybody about it. It's just you doing this because you want to become what you've told me you want to become in athletics. So let me help you get there. But he, you know, he has to do the work. And I, and I think that's, I, you know, for any 12 year old that could, that will take on that challenge and do something like that. Um, and, and, and gosh, he's been super consistent Monday through Friday, every week since August. Uh, I, I told him this morning, I said, look, look at where you're at. Look back on the last four months and, and look at the success you've had. And we don't post it on social media. We don't send emails out. We don't, you know, you go out in the front porch and say, hey, buddy, Spencer's working out right now. I want to come watch him. Yeah. It's none of that. It's just the, it's it's just about the personal development that really means something. And that's what I hear. Yeah, it's, yeah and I think, I mean, Casey, you bring up an important uh, perspective, Shane, I'd love to get your, your thought on, you know, I've, I've, I've held a belief that um, right, wrong, or indifferent, that technology has outpaced our ability to keep up with it from an emotional intelligence standpoint. Yeah. I think our lack of awareness, our lack of ability to be self-aware <clears throat> and socially aware. It's, it, it's fascinating to me. I'll tell you a quick story to get to the, the yeah. question. Um, I was at a business meeting one time or a business uh, dinner. And in the middle of conversation, these executives all looked down at their phones and started checking emails. And I just, I, I've got a rule that if we're at a table, I'm not pulling my phone out. And I didn't. And I just sat there and watched everybody check their emails and get engrossed in everything. And so for, who knows, two, three, four, five minutes, the the dinner stopped and everybody was checking their own individual emails. And then all of a sudden, somebody looks up and looks around and goes, oh, my gosh, look at us. We're all on our phones. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not on my phone because I think it's rude and I don't think that it's um, the thing that you do in a social setting. And then another person said, oh, yeah, I guess it's time for this to end because we've all we're all pro probably pretty busy. And at that point, everything was shut down. We left a, the, a great dinner. We left a great conversation previously so that everybody could go get on their emails because that was super important. I've held a belief for a long time that our technology has outpaced our ability to adapt emotionally, our ability to stay up with our emotional intelligence. Now, I'm not saying we can't do it. But I don't think as a society, we've done a very good job at it. I, maybe I'm off in that premise. I'd love to get your perspective on it. And if you agree, how do we get away from that? If you disagree, tell me why. Yeah, I, you know, it's, I don't disagree. I think it's absolutely, I, I think it's absolutely important. Again, it's about that positive negative space. How do you create space? Right? If we're always filling our time with something, there's no space to connect. There's no space to build relationships. There's no space for the notes to sing, so to speak. Um, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm probably one of the worst at it um, because, you know, you, you feel those pulls, you feel those pressures. I, I will say that's, that's where my wife is my hero. Um, and I, I openly say that she is a superhero in my world. Um, I, the things that she's been through in her life and thrived through, um, inspire me and always will. But one of the things that is inspiring to me about her is her ability to create space. She is, she's developed a love and had a love for an art that is kind of, you know, 
it's it's an art that is not um it's kind of a dying art she loves calligraphy um and she's always loved it she's loved the handmade nature of it the the fallibility of it the beauty of it in its perfections and its imperfections all at once and she's spent you know thousands of hours um, building her her capabilities in, in that arena and, and one of the thing that things that I love about that is she says she, she it's about slowing down right it's this is something that can't be rushed you you can't hurry through this you have to take the time and you have to be committed to every stroke and the beauty that it brings in its own right and um, her ability to kind of connect with the old in a new technology world um, is inspiring. And it's, it's something that I, I watch her do. I will literally just at times sit down and watch her because it's, I, I, I have horrible penmanship. My kids can attest to that. And she would probably be the first to be like, yeah, she mean, it, it would take lifetimes for you. We have a doctor's it. degree, so that's why. <laughs> yeah, probably more true to that than we want to admit. But to watch her and, and the beauty that comes from that and the beauty that comes from her being patient and sitting there and doing what it takes to excel at that um, is the antithesis of kind of the world that we live in. And it, it helps ground me in ways that she probably doesn't even know and I should probably tell her. Um, about well look we've got two listeners to the watching. podcast if you get her listening she'll be our third we got brownie points for two or three days. yeah and it's recorded so we can all you can just keep playing it over and over and over again yeah, we'll send you just that clip but, thanks guys i appreciate it so, I, I think there's something about how do we how do we find that moment for us whatever that may be some for some people like Casey with the picture behind him, it might be in nature at a camp out sitting around a fire with his son. Um, and for others, it might be listening to music and hearing something for the first time, even though we've listened to it a thousand times. Um, I've got a daughter that's a bookworm and her ability to find meaning in words that quite frankly would be lost on me is an inspiration. Uh, my son, who loves af who loves soccer, to see um, the beauty uh, of when the game slows down and um, where he sees where people are and anticipates where people are going to be, like that kind of space, that kind of time and commitment to something to allow it to unfold, um, is is important. And I think that we would all, to your point be better off to create moments and time in our day to just let the world be what it is and to sit quietly with it and myself included yeah uh, i think it's you know, um, preaching to the choir here I, I, no but i, I think it's, it, it, it it's a great point right it's uh, I, uh chip and dan heath uh wrote a book called the power of moments one of my favorite books that i've read in the last two or three years um, and they talk about how when we look at our life, we don't look back and think of it in a linear fashion. We think about it as snippets or moments. And um, 
if there's a if there's a takeaway that I that I'm getting from what you're talking about, it's that in our go 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 society, we're constantly on, we're constantly connected. One of the best things that we can do is to find a hobby or to find something we do, like your wife with calligraphy, that we do on a regular basis that slows us down. Maybe it's cooking, maybe it's playing music, yeah. maybe it's drawing, maybe it's researching words, whatever it is, but something that forces us to slow down so that we can uh, become a more conscious observer of life, but also experience things as they are. Well hey, let me ask you a question on that. Is that is that a an, always an individual scenario where each person, uh, obviously each person, like you just said, Steve, yes. But I guess what the path I'm going down is all of us, all, all four of us are fathers. Is there something there on the find a moment, create space, slow down, that a group can do, a family, a father-son, a father-daughter, a husband-wife, the whole the whole enchilada. I mean, what's your take on that? Well, I'd, yeah. I'd say for sure. I mean, I and I, I'm going to throw it to Miles real quick, and then we'll come back. I want to get Shane's perspective on it. One of the things I've seen that Miles does uh, with his son is they they create food together. And, you know, I mean, there is nothing more beautiful than creating a, a gorgeous meal in my mind, because you can't just all of a sudden sit down to some uh, five minute mac and cheese and have a great moment uh, like you, like Miles does with his son. So, Miles, how have you done that with uh, your son and create these moments of slowing down? Because it's a, I, I've seen it personally of how you've connected with him. But I've also seen how it has developed him into an extremely intelligent and inquisitive young man. Well, um, it's it, it's interesting because there's it, it um, Casey. You actually addressed it a little bit earlier when you were talking about the workouts for your son. Um, one of the things that's going on with Tiago and I right now is we just about a week ago we did his. Um, his little music recital for his music class. And we played uh, Miles Davis's um, Blue and Green from the Kind of Blue album. Mm -hmm. um, he's not enthusiastic about practicing. So what we did is we didn't force him. We started him We said, you pick the amount of time you want to practice. And he would pick 10 minutes. And then we would watch it kind of grow. And then I would ask him if he wanted to play with me once every two weeks for five minutes. And he said, yes. And so it was almost as we're talking about giving space, we allowed him create the space that he needed. And so consequently, he grew the space without me imposing the space on him. He had always loved to watch me cook. And once we started letting his hands get into the food and touching it, and then trust me, the, the, there's a, the beauty and the tragedy of all of this is the things that he comes to me that he wants to make are the things that I tell him, you know, if I eat that, 
I'll die. <laughs> <laughs> so he wants the triple chocolate, triple donut. <laughs> then we make these donuts and put sprinkles on them and then ice cream. And what I try to explain to my ex-wife is I try so many ways to indulge him to keep the dialogue open so we can always communicate with each other that occasionally I have to swallow some things that will kill me. <laughs> and that's I think it's I think it's time to come back to Utah, buddy. We gotta we gotta right. that's a metaphor. <laughs> so many things like his little when he plays those video games, his his mother comes to me, she goes, he just talks about those all the time. And I just I can't find myself engaged. And I said, you gotta think of the big picture. There's the there's the big the big game is if he's willing to sit down with you and talk about these games and you listen to him, as he gets older, he'll come to you with problems about girls, problems about school. So you open up, you have to every once in a while swallow this. So I've been practicing this with him for years. And it's just, it's starting to uh, bear fruit where, you know, us, we, we get along so well I've never really forced anything on him. And if I do force it on him, I force it on him for, say, two minutes. You have to do this for two minutes. And he and I, since I know him, the two minutes, if he gets involved, will turn to four, will turn to six, will turn to 30 minutes. And so we just have this kind of way of playing. But there's 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 some poison pills I've had to swallow in, in his little evolution <laughs> yeah that's really bit. cool miles that's really cool and yeah, i think Casey the... that... oh, go, ahead. Shane, go ahead i was gonna say one of the things that i love about that story miles is it's the ability to give him the space to at an individual level find what works for him um while allowing him to go towards something that he loves but it's also you've created moments or to go back to Casey's question around how do you do that in a shared way where mm. it's led to a shared experience with you and him or with him and your wife, which in turn leads to a shared experience of the family. Like you're building a family connection as well. And I, I, I use that kind of mindset when I'm working with CEOs, companies, organizations where, you know, if you make a change at one one level, it impacts the other level. So if an individual changes, it's going to change the way a team interfaces. If you change the way a team interfaces, it could change the way that a function interfaces. And then if you change yeah. the way a function interfaces, it can change the way that the entire organization will change. And to be cognizant of that um, is, is part of the beauty of the space that you're creating at the individual level. And I uh, just, I love that story. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, they really are all linked, right? They're all connected. There is no way yeah. to separate any of that. I think, Shane, as you're talking um, from the individual to the organizational to the systematic, they're all connected, right? Yeah. yeah. I think one of the, I mean, I'll let you guys, I would like to hear you guys, all of your opinion on this perspective. I think one of the great tragedies of um, <clears throat> our culture is success is always shown at the end of success. We always yeah. show 
the actors walking down the red carpet, the interviews, and we never see, you know, um, I had the pleasure of, um, I, when I, I worked, I spent 21, you don't Steve, 21 years working at the New York Shakespeare Festival in New York City. Yeah. And one of the highlights of that was I remember Angela Bassett coming in to play Lady Macbeth to Alec Baldwin's Macbeth. And she had no experience in Shakespeare. So now she was a movie star and, you know, you get to see her, you know, as a movie star. But I got to see her, no makeup. She would have on jeans and his regular beat up coat. She would come in with four different books on how to speak Shakespeare, the, the, the lexicon, the grammar and all of that stuff. And it beat her ass. And when I, I saw that, I thought, that's the most important thing people can see. Yeah. Not the end result. You know, with writers, right. we don't get to see a writer sit down and the page is blank and he or she is struggling with, you know, a comma or a preposition or a phrase. We don't get to see that struggle. We get to see the end result, which in the late 80s, early 90s, um, almost started this movement of kids who wanted to be successful without having accomplished anything with success, the success sake. Yeah. So I think we miss these little tiny moments of successes starting really small and building on that smallness. We, as a culture, we never get to see this. That's why the Rocky movies are so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it is, you, you bring up an important <laughs> I love point. That. You know? I, I joke all the time and it's a joke, but it's, it's true uh, that I'm a jackass and anybody that knows me knows that I'm a complete jackass, but there was a period of time where I literally was the jackass. When I was a kid, um, we had a garden in our backyard and my dad would, uh, there was a rope tied around a plow and this plow was one that my dad would stand behind and hold these handles and, that plow is what you would, I would, he would tie it to myself or my brothers. And then we were the jackass that pulled the plow <laughs> while he would give his lines going back and forth. And I'll tell you, as a kid, you know, it didn't matter. I, I remember the old saying that you hoe to the end of the row, what, which meant that whenever you were weeding and you had your hoe out there and your rake and you were going, you had to finish whatever row you were on before you had to take a break, right? But it was the same thing of being the jackass that was pulling the plow. I would pull the plow, and then at the end of that, then we would go through, and he had the little thing where we would plant the corn, or then we would plant the tomatoes. we plant all this stuff. And then you had to sit and you had to water and you had to weed and you had to do all this stuff so that at the end of the summer, we could sit up on the balcony and eat the best corn, mm. butter and salt, looking out over the sunset. And it was the best thing in the world. And, and I think about that, that I learned a lot from every scraped knee, sweat in my eye, uh, going from my eyebrows into my eyes challenge. And that was, I, I still look back at that now as I'm dealing with challenges here and there in life and business that I learned a lot through that. And I think you're right, Miles, we don't really show anything other than what ultimate success is. 
And I think oftentimes it's a bunch of bullshit anyway, because we're looking at something that somebody has fabricated to put on Instagram or something else. That's not even true. They don't own that car. They don't even own the clothing. Um, It was a shock to me one time when I was reading an article that said that all these famous movie stars and they go to the red carpet. You were talking about red carpet that they wear the dresses and they wear the um, jewelry. They don't own any of it. They borrow it all. I know. <laughs> I know. And it's, oh, I want to be that person. What, a person that borrows a dress? You want to <laughs> be the person that borrows jewelry? Go next door and borrow it from somebody. I, you know, when I think about success, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of it, uh, right? But I'm also a fan of what failure teaches us and what the right. challenges teach us. So Shane, when we talk about this concept of struggling and making it through the challenges to get to whatever our definition of success is, how do you get people started on that path? And how do you also help them while they're on that path to move through the challenges? Yeah, what, what I try to tell people is that they wouldn't be where they were if they weren't already successful. So whatever they've done is a success, whether they're having a hard time right now or whether they're um, struggling or they're worried about what's next. And, um, you know, the old idea of imposter syndrome, you know, jumping into something and feeling like, man, if people really knew how incompetent I was, uh, I wouldn't be here. Um, I think that's a very normal shared experience in this world that we don't talk about enough. Um, you guys had talked about the length of my resume and the things that I've done, but like, there's a whole lot of failures in there. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I fail as a husband, I fail as uh, a son, I fail as a father, I fail as a friend. I've had failed businesses. I've, I've, I've failed people as uh, an executive coach. I've failed people as a therapist. Um, it, it wasn't from lack of trying or lack of intent, but you know, I'm, I'm not always a success, but, um, I think it's important to realize and help people understand that you're where you are because you are a success. And let's talk about starting there. What are the things that have made you successful? What are the things that you've done? And then let's talk about what are the things that might get in your way that you're worried about? Um, how do you how do you build a team around you to help you with your shortcomings? I'm the first one to admit I am not a details guy. Um, I'm I'm horrible with details. I need someone around me that can say, "Hey Shane, you really need to focus on this. That's a great idea, but if you don't do these ten other things first, um, it's not even going to get off the ground." Like yeah. it's great that you want to build a plane and you got wings, but you probably better find a jet engine too. Um, I I just that's not the way I'm wired. I see things big picture. So I need people around me that call that out. I need people that that is their strength. Um, I need people that will hold my feet to the fire and say, Hey, look, we've got a deadline. You have to do it. Even though you might want to go do this other thing. Um, You know, we don't look like twins, Shane, but we're twins. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll be your twin. Well, I wanted this. I wanted to ask one question. I know we're running out of time. Um, we uh, the whole premise of uh, doing this podcast uh, is to learn how we all how we all are evolving and how the guests that come on here help us think different and better and push us and prod us. And I hope the listeners feel the same. And Shane, your whole profession is 
is mired and geared in how do you get somebody to get them to somewhere else, whether it's healing, whether it's how to lead and guide a, a, a business or, or whatever, all the different avenues you've been in in your, your career. Um, how has your career to this point pushed, if you look back, what are some pivotal things that you could say have really helped Shane Stoll evolve to the, the man we're sitting here talking to today? Um, I think it's, it's a constant reminder to me. And again, I'm not, I don't naturally see this. I need people around me to point this out, but I can't do it alone. Um, I, I like to find stuff and go after it. And, you know, maybe I try to control things too much. Maybe I try to be too big in what I think is possible. Um, but I, I can't do that alone. I, I am not where I am without great people around me. Like I couldn't have done um, graduate school without a wife who was willing to sacrifice in a whole host of other ways and do things that needed to be done that I didn't or couldn't do. Um, and the same thing with my kids around me, with colleagues, with friends. Um, I, I need to recognize what people bring to the table. And I think if there was a moment for, for me to reflect on from this conversation, it's, it's that, that um, if I create space and time to really see what others are doing and recognize that and give recognition, that it bolsters others and it, it spreads um, a belief that others have in themselves and it, it can build great things. And I think that's what great companies are founded on. I think that's what great people are founded on. I think that's what great families, great relationships are founded on is the recognition that um, what you bring to it, the way you see the world, um, the skills that you have um, are probably better in lots of ways than the skills that I have. I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm going to be grateful for it. And I'm going to let it into my life in ways that sometimes I'm resistant to because fear takes over or insecurity or that, Im that feeling of imposter syndrome where, man, they might find out I'm not really as good at this as I need to be, or I don't deserve to be here. Um, and I think those are real emotions for lots of us at some point in our life. Yeah, I love that. Shane, I think, uh, you know, you brought up a lot of great points um, throughout our conversation here, and we really appreciate having you on. I think a couple of them, if we're going to summarize and cap it off as we, we come to the close here, really failure it just means that we've reached a different iteration in life. You know, we all fail and we continue to move forward. And I think that if we reframe failure into different iterations, then that's where success becomes a lot easier for us. But I think another important point that you brought up multiple times is that really friends and our tribe matter. None of us are going to continue to evolve and grow as individuals and especially through the challenges of life if we don't have a great 
set of friends, colleagues, and a tribe that balances us. You know, a balanced life is really a balanced tribe. We are never going to be the full and complete, perfect individual person, uh, but we can have a balanced life if we have a balanced tribe. So, uh, Shane Stoll, we sure appreciate you jumping on here with us at the Evolve Podcast. It's been a pleasure to learn a little bit more about you and your background and your experience, and also have you impart with our listeners. Uh, some of your wisdom uh, through your psychology and your business experience. So thank you very much for coming on with us today. Uh, what's the best way, Shane, for people to get a hold of you if they want to contact you about uh, coaching, uh, executive development, uh, psychological, uh, whatever? Nope. How do they get a hold yeah. of you? Yeah. yeah, so you can reach me at um, S T O W E L L at spencerstewart.com and uh um, i'm always open to to meet and and learn from new people so um, i'd welcome that opportunity it's been a pleasure gentlemen to meet you casey it's always um, good to reconnect with you um, mm -hmm. but i i hope we'll have the chance for our paths to stay connected um all three Absolutely. of us and to continue to evolve um, to whatever's next, because I've, I've valued the time with you and learning with you and um, hearing what the wisdom you all impart as well. Yeah, thank, thank you, you very much, Shane. I mean, it's been a great conversation, very fascinating. Um, you know, Shane, to put it in a little bit of perspective, so a few weeks ago, we had another psychologist, another person with a doctorate um, on, and he was yeah. a yoga teacher. Now we have a, a person with a degree in psychology who is a consultant. Yeah. And um, just a fascinating conversation to see how yeah. two people with a very similar educational background can go in two totally different directions. Yeah. Um, very fascinating conversation. So we sure do appreciate you for jumping on with this. Uh, Casey, you want to tell our listeners how they can listen to us and how they can get a hold of us? Those of you who would love to reach out and talk to us on Instagram, we're at evolve underscore cast. Please uh, respond to us, uh, questions too on things you heard today from uh, Shane and, and others on the, uh, our, our other hosts on here that we'd love to hear from you, the good, bad, and the ugly. It's how we learn, grow, and evolve. Why do you always have to bring up me as the ugly? Come on now. Well, you, do have, wrap you do have a face for radio, so that's I've all got I a have face to say. Podcast. Thank you. And you have said that every single podcast you have a face for radio. So I do. Thank you. You <laughs> hold them. You are the ugly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Miles and I are the best looking guys of the host. Oh, and Shane's no got the best that. hair. So Shane has the best hair of all of our guests. <laughs> Miles, I'll tell you, anything I'll else? Tell you, hold on, hold on. That that this freaking this freaking guy's hair has been immaculate since like 1982 and it's just it just irritates the piss out of most of us that are bald and can't figure out how to use a comb so there you go you win you win so well, he has the he has the immaculate hair is what you're saying yeah 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 never moves it's always perfect it's just amazing just amazing now miles even though they can't have great hair like shane how can they look amazing like us Folks, we have gear, we got hats, we've got hoodies, we've got swag and merch and uh, any, any other colloquialisms that I'm missing for this, look us up. Give us a shout. 
Yeah, thanks guys for joining us today for another episode of the Evolve Podcast. Uh, you've been listening to Miles, Casey, and Steve talking to Shane Stoll, uh, PhD in psychology, who is a consultant. Uh, we've had a great conversation today, but now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. And evolve. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we talk to best-selling author, mentor, and personal development coach, Todd Sylvester. Todd shares with us his path to recovery and how over the past 31 years, he has helped people overcome addiction and live their best life. Todd has his own very successful podcast and was featured in Simon Sinek's book, Find Your Why. Don't forget to join the Evolve community and check out our latest clothing drop on our website. That's next time on the Evolve Podcast.